1: Welcome to the Dark Myths Podcast. This is a podcast about the members of the Dark Myths Collective. Explore what lies beyond and enter the minds of the Dark Lords. The Darkness awaits.
0: Greetings, listeners of the Dark Myths podcast. With you again is Kristab Sandresons doing these interviews for you. They are fans of our show, and today we have Jordan.
1: Hello, listeners.
0: Yeah, that, I guess that's a tradition. We have other people besides Jordan on the podcast as well.
1: And we have uh, we have multiple Jordans. So let's be clear: this yeah. is a Jordan Bone Party from Nighttime Podcast.
0: Yeah, Harbor was last time. So, I, I hope to get to I hope to get to the point where we interview someone else besides Jordans.
1: Yeah, maybe we need more Jordans.
0: I could legally change my name to Jordan, I guess.
1: <laughs> That'll be a good interview.
0: Anyway. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's start with just, you know, talk about yourself a bit. Do you live in Canada? Yes. You live in the Great North. About the same climate zone as I do, you know. Real men live up north and are tough, and you know, we have wild boars and stuff too.
1: That's what we up north say. I don't know if the truth is is it's, if the truth is there, but uh, we'll we'll go with that. It's cold, so we're tough, and that works for me. So. I've been born and raised in Nova Scotia. I've been here pretty much my, uh, my whole life. It's, if you're unfamiliar, Nova Scotia is on the east coast of Canada, home to uh, our, our most famous exports are probably the Mysteries of Oak Island. People around the world have heard of that. That's about an hour from where I live. We also have, uh, for the hockey fans, Sidney Crosby. He's from my neck of the woods, and he's a, a big deal if you're into hockey. I don't know much about it, and I wouldn't know who he was if he walked past me, but someone out there may. Yeah, other than that, Nova Scotia is also home to uh, Canada's greatest UFO sighting. It's called the Shag Harbor Incident. We call it Canada's Roswell. It's also about two hours from where I am, and it's uh, what makes it so incredible is it's... Uh, It's as far as I know, it's it's the world's most heavily government investigated UFO sighting in terms of or at least in terms of what's been released publicly. It's a UFO sighting that had multiple eyewitnesses, all uh, reputable and all telling the same story and initially thought to be a plane crash. So when the government investigated it, there was a lot of a lot of paperwork and stuff written down that us UFO fanatics have gone through in the years since.
0: Wow! Straight to the supernatural. That's that's the that's way fun- I
1: that's the way I do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and talking about hockey. Well, uh, we're in the same boat here uh, because in Latvia we're also humongous hockey fans. I I don't know how big is that in the United States, but yeah, it's glad to talk to you Canadians about this one. Yeah, about about your show, I would like to know how it started. What's the history behind the nighttime podcast?
1: Yeah, well,
0: and that great intro voice—that's uh-huh. that's amazing.
1: I'll tell you that story too, because that's kind of that was kind of cool. So the show, well, first of all, for me, I've I've always been fascinated with horror, mystery, science fiction. True crime, just anything dark and weird. So that's probably why I'm on associated with with you and the other sickos on Dark Myths. But anyway, I've been uh, a podcast fanatic in my later life. Um, Had a, a variety of podcasts I listened to. I have a young son, so when I was pushing him on the stroller for two hours at a time, twice or three times a day before he could talk i needed something to listen to so podcasts just became in a part of my life i listened to them all day when i was whether i was walking him cleaning the kitchen going to the grocery store walking to work it was always podcasts and the, i found podcasts that covered the topics i was interested in particularly astonishing legends that's always been my favorite they're also affiliated with us on dark myths and that's in the end how i ended up here but things like Astonishing Legends or shows like that, they were covering the sort of topics that I was really interested in. But I've also, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a lifelong resident of Nova Scotia. There's a lot of great mysteries around this part of Canada in Eastern or Atlantic Canada. I found shows that were covering the sorts of topics that I like, but I wasn't finding shows that were covering the topics that were were close to me and that really resonated with me. And that's kind of what initially uh, planted the seed is that I, didn't, I wasn't really that um, set on it at first, but I just thought, you know, maybe someday if I ever have free time, I could start a podcast or maybe just make, you know, a couple uh, short kind of audio documentaries about the, the topics that are close to me and really relevant to people of my province. And maybe I could share them with another podcast and they would air them as a special episode or something. That was my plan initially. What actually set off the podcast was just kind of a, a twist of fate. I was walking home from work one afternoon, walking down a busy street in my city of Halifax. And it was it was at the end of the school year. Um, and this becomes relevant in a second. So I was walking home and on the side of the road, I saw just a bunch of rubble or just a bunch of crap on the side of the road. It was papers and miscellaneous stuff. And among it was what looked like a, a pretty current textbook or, or a scribbler like that somebody had, had wrote in. And At the time, my iPhone battery had died, so I didn't have a podcast to listen to. So I just picked up the Scribbler off the ground thinking it was maybe a journal or or some kind of workbook that a student maybe threw away on the last day of school. So I I picked it up just to kind of look and see what um, the youth of today are writing about at school. Um, And as I'm reading it, it, it was once I opened the book, it was pretty much... Front to back, cover to cover, uh, cursive text like handwriting, and it was just you know crammed with text. So I'm like, oh sweet, this is like a journal or diary or something. So I'm just reading it, and as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, good lord! Like it starts with a, it gives the girl's name, and it says she's in grade eight. And as I'm reading it, I'm just thinking, like good lord! Like when I was in grade eight, there's no way I could write as good as this girl. It was almost written in uh, in an old style English, like not like Shakespearean or something, but it just seemed like old timey terminology and phrases and whatnot well above anything that I would write even in my 30s today so as I was reading it I'm thinking wow this kid's really smart but then I'm noticing her writing a lot about the royal family she's uh, she's talking about the death of King George and the visit of Princess Elizabeth to my um, to my province and all these things that I don't know about the royal family but I've never heard of King George uh, so I'm continuing to read it and walking. And then when I when I got home, it was uh, I, that was when I realized. After showing the journal to others, that I realized that King George had died years and years and years ago. So this journal was likely very old. I think it was. I can't remember the exact date, but I think it was the 50s, um, 52 maybe. But anyway, I started realizing that this wasn't a new scribbler. It was a scribbler that was like a journal that somebody had kept in the early 50s writing about her her everyday life. And somehow it ended up looking, not brand new, but looking in good shape on the side of a busy road in Halifax. So what I did from there was I... Went through and I read the whole thing cover to cover two or three times looking for any detail she wrote about her life. I had her name. It was on the inside cover in her grade. Throughout it, she wrote uh, the name of her school, but after Googling and stuff, I couldn't find any mention of the school, so I assumed it was tore down in the you know the 60s or something. She didn't mention any family members, but she did mention the first and last names of a lot of friends. So what I did from there was I took some photos of the journal... Put them up on Reddit and basically asked for anyone who was interested to try to help me solve the puzzle and see, you know, what's the story with this book. From there, I got uh, received correspondence from this, uh, a CBC journalist. That's the Canadian Broadcast Corporation, Canada's version of the BBC. Basically, our biggest uh, our biggest news uh, news place in Canada. I got a message from a journalist from there who was interested in doing a story and interested in trying to help me find this, the lady who wrote this. So I agreed and it made the news locally here or across Nova Scotia that I had this journal. And only, I think it probably was about a day or two later, I ended up, we ended up finding the girl. She lived not too far from where I was. And she was a, I think an 80-ish year old lady. And we went to her house and I reunited her with her journal and CBC was there and filmed the whole thing and did a story on it. So what what came from that was I got so many people who were telling me, um, you know, you did such a great job solving that and you did such a great job being on camera and talking and all this. And then it just kind of got me thinking like, I've always I never considered myself like well-spoken or anything like that. But so many people were saying you should be a journalist. You did such a great job. And then I was just like, I might as well just try doing a podcast and maybe I'm not as bad as I think. So that was kind of what pushed me over the edge and made me think uh, maybe I should just try it. Then the last thing that fell into place, so it was kind of perfect timing, as all this happened with the the CBC coverage of me finding the journal. I was being interviewed by local radio stations and the newspaper and all this stuff. So I had a, a bit of buzz going on because of all that. But at the same time, my grandfather, who's now in his uh, his mid eighties, he's always had a story about a UFO sighting that my grandfather and grandmother had seen back in the. Uh, or had seen in the '80s, he had never told anyone in the or anyone in the family the entire story. But as all this was going on with the CBC coverage of me finding the journal, my grandfather at that point um, just decided to open up and tell me the whole story about the UFO sighting that he and my grandmother had, I filmed the whole thing on my phone. And thus the first episode was born of my show. Cause that's really how I start is the, my first episode is telling my grandfather's UFO sighting and my investigation into it. And as far as the the name and all that, that just, I, I needed something to release that first episode as, and I, with my young son that I mentioned, I only really had time to work on my podcast in the nighttime so I call it my nighttime podcast rather than my nighttime watching movies or nighttime playing video games. I do a nighttime podcast.
0: <laughs> but d- totally understand this, this feel. I'm sure that many of, of our guys over there in darkness have, have similar cool stories. Uh, but I really was wondering, because you have this specific intro with that extremely cool British-sounding guy. What's the story behind that?
1: Yeah, much like uh, when I found that journal I went on Reddit, um, when I was going to do a podcast, I was... I had limited time to put it all together. Basically, I um, had my first episode done, which was the story of my grandfather's UFO sighting. I then was, like, needed a name. Came, I just thought up the first name that came to mind, needed a cover art and a logo, so I just quickly did that. I did all this in a, maybe in a day or two. Then I needed an intro, and where my podcast was going to be, I, I planned to do a solo one with just me talking, just because I, with my son and everything, I don't have the flexibility to work around someone else's schedule, so I ended up with a solo podcast, but I didn't want my intro to be me talking, because the rest of the episode will be, so I decided I'd like to get somebody else uh, reading something, so rather than bother all my friends, I went on Reddit. There was a um, there was a a subreddit for like voice actors, uh, and when I found that subreddit, I just put a post up saying I'm planning a podcast. Um, here's a little script that I'd like read for my intro. If anyone here wants to take a shot at it, just email me, and then I got. Probably within maybe a week, I got maybe 15 different emails of different people reading my script, and they all gave me permission to use their voice. Uh, I listened to the first 14, and none of them really did it for me, and when I got to the last one, and of the first 14, some of them were pretty professional, some of them were really bad, some of them were funny, some of them were just way too dark and like sounded like Halloween voices or something. When I got to the last guy, he sent me maybe a, a two-minute-long clip, and it was the same guy... Uh, he's actually from Ireland uh, it was the same guy reading the script but in different voices and every voice seems very different like he you could you could tell this guy was really good and he um of all the voices he sent there was that particular one which is kind of high-pitched and it reminded me something like something from like a maybe a detective movie or some or a radio play from like the 40s or something and right away I was just like I knew it was perfect. And this guy, he emailed me and I emailed him back saying like, you know, I'm going to use your clip and I wanted him to change it because at first I was going to call the show Nighttime Radio, but then I found out there was a popular African political show called Nighttime Radio. So I was going to change it then to the Nighttime Podcast. I wanted to get him to redo it um, saying nighttime podcast instead of nighttime radio when I was emailing him all the uh my emails to him were bouncing back so then I tried to find him like on Facebook and stuff like that and couldn't have much luck but when I was searching his name I kept getting a result for um this rock band from Ireland which based on everything I found it seemed that they were I don't know if if famous is the word but they seemed like they were bordering on famous in in Ireland and I was or I don't know if Ireland's right. He's from, he's from Belfast, UK. Yeah, that's Ireland. Okay. I'm a geographical idiot. Uh, Belfast,
0: Belfast is Northern Ireland. Okay.
1: So yeah, I'm pretty, okay. Well, wherever he's from, it's called Belfast, but uh, I kept finding a result for this band called the left backs and in the, I think it was the guitar player, had the same name as the guy who sent me the clips. So just on a whim, I contacted the band through their website, and sure enough, it was the same guy. So somehow, by putting this post up on Reddit, a semi-famous musician from Ireland uh, is doing my voice intro. Since then, we've been emailing back and forth, and we're good friends now, and he's actually sent me a few different clips that I'm going to use for some other purposes in the future. But the guy couldn't be better. I even got emails from a, a local book publishing company that was interested in having him do voiceovers for some commercials they're doing. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. I'd love to get him a job.
0: Wow, <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, and then check Belfast isn't Belfast is Northern Ireland, so yeah, you should be great. Wow. Uh, yeah. By the way, now a bit more a bit more interesting stuff. Do you you you're focusing on the local legends on your show. So do you have something very maybe small and personal that you haven't mentioned on the show? Well then please be my guest and inform our all of our Dark Myths fans about something cool, you know, these cool local stories, because I'm telling one myself on my show. These cool local things that sometimes are very personal to you are the ones that matter the most. Do you have something for us that isn't on your show yet?
1: Yeah, I have lots. I've My whole life I've been interested in, you know, the local ghost stories, local folklore. I've also had... I don't know why, but lots of just odd things happened to me through my life. So I'm gonna start getting into some things that happened to me as a kid uh, in my show. I may um, we're I'm figuring out how I'm gonna work this into my show. I'll the one I'll share with you is um, not a local myth or legend. It's something that happened to me in my childhood that I think is very formative to how I ended up as an adult. Basically, I've my whole life I've been when I say interested or into horror movies it would be an utter utter uh, an utter. Understatement. I'm into the horror. I'm into horror movies to the extent that, in I think probably around eight years old, my parents had me see a psychiatrist for a while. <laughs> so,
0: what's your favorite horror movie, by the way?
1: Uh, I like it all, but growing up, uh, it was Friday the Thirteenth, and I'll explain to you why because this is where the story, uh, how the story happens. So, basically, I was as a kid, um, going back to maybe when I was six or seven years old. I lived in a small town in Nova Scotia. Um, in this small town, maybe of thirty thousand people, it, we had a big video store where you'd rent movies. But we also had a couple small, like family-owned, um, mom and pa, VHS rental places where you would go rent movies. And there was one very close to me called GNS Video. It was a small little movie store. It had a horror movie section that maybe had a hundred horror movies in it. And I would go in there every, whenever I could, I'd go in there either just to look at the covers or look at the back of the boxes or, um, or see what posters were up for what was coming soon. And of course, every weekend, pretty much Friday, when I got home from or when my dad got home from work, he'd take me to the video store and he'd rent me four or five horror movies. And that's what I'd watch through the weekend, much to my mother's chagrin because she didn't want me watching these. Um, But I lived with my dad and she lived separately. So there wasn't much she could do about it. So anyway, um, I was always at this small video store that probably was about, I'm guessing maybe 700, 800 square feet, not a big store at all. And it would be the kind of store that now in my adult life, I think, that it, it, They were probably always on the verge of going out of business. It was a rundown store, never particularly busy. Anyway, I was probably six or seven in... I went to the store and on the on the door to the store they had a big poster. It was it was like Jason, like with an axe or something, and it was cover for um Jason Takes Manhattan, which was a, a big Friday the thirteenth movie where Jason goes to New York and kills a bunch of people. Anyway, they had a poster for that and the text on it was like it was just like a white piece of paper with a marker and somebody wrote on it and it said Jason Voorhees will be signing autographs at this video store, you know, next Sunday from two to four. And I saw that and I was just like, holy shit, there's no way that Jason's going to be here. I got to come back. And my dad was like, yeah, we'll come back. It's no problem at all. And I lived just just a couple doors, like a couple houses away from this video store. So anyway, all week I'm thinking about it. I keep going back to the store and I was asking the people working there, you know, is Jason coming? And they're like, oh yeah, it's really him. He's going to be here. You know, make sure your parents come with you sort of thing. Because I was, you know, again, very young. It finally comes to that Sunday where Jason's supposed to be at the video store from two to four, but my dad had some other stuff going on. I don't know. He was off to work or doing whatever. So he just said, you can go over, just, you know, be careful because again, it's only a few doors away. So my dad's gone and does his thing. And uh, my brother was looking after me, my older brother. He stayed home and I just went up to the video store alone. So I get there at probably 10 minutes to two maybe. And there's already a crowd of kids three times my height. I was probably six or seven. Everybody else there was probably 18. And so I just get in line with everybody else and I'm waiting, you know, for my chance to see Jason. And there's just this big man sitting behind a desk with the mask and the machete and a bunch of stuff surrounding him. But as I'm waiting, all the older kids just keep butting in front of me. So I was trying to get my chance to get up there, but as. As I was inching closer in the lineup, more people would just come and crowd in front of me. And after about an hour and a half, people that were in the lineup behind me initially are are long gone. So, you know, I've had probably the line pass me three or four times, people butting. And then at one point, at probably about 3.30, this guy who was not Jason himself, but someone who was there with him, like one of his assistants or something, came over. And he, like, touched me on the shoulder. And he's like, hey, kid, um, Kane... um, Kane said, you know, just get out of line and, and just wait a little while. And if you stick around till after everybody's done, he'll do something special for you. And the, the actor who played Jason, his name is Kane Hodder. He's now famous and he, he wasn't really at the time, I don't think. But anyway, so the, the guy told me, you know, just go off in the corner and just wait it out. And when everybody goes, kane will do something special. So I did that. I go over in the horror movie section like I always do. And I'm poking around, looking at the tapes and as the crowd dies down and everybody goes, this guy who is looked to me like a giant, he probably weighed 600 pounds and he was probably 12 feet tall. He came over and he just touched me on the shoulder uh, and he's just like, hey, kid, uh, I noticed you waiting around and I saw everybody butting you. It was, you know, it was bothering me to see that happen. So I'm glad you stuck around. Come on over to the table. So he brings me over to the table with him. And of course, it's, it's Jason or Kane Hodder who plays Jason. And what he did, uh, there was a couple people who worked at the store and a few people just milling a boat, but he, he sat and he talked to me for a while about, uh, Friday the 13th and making Jason takes Manhattan and told me all about the makeup and special effects. And he was showing me, he had like a, um, a photo album and he was showing me pictures of the behind the scenes stuff but then there was also a guy with like a Polaroid camera and you could, I think you could pay a couple dollars and you could get a picture with, with Jason. So, uh, he had that guy take some photos of us. I didn't pay or anything. Cause it was just, a, I didn't have a cent on me uh, being a little kid alone at the video store. Uh, so he would, he put the mask on the real Jason mask on the movie on me and he h- holds like the machete to my throat. Then I put the mask on him and he, I have like pictures of me with my arm around him, like choking him with the, he has the mask on and the whole, the whole outfit and pictures of, um, At this point in the story of Friday the 13th, the mask had like a big cut in it from somebody hitting Jason with an axe. So I have a picture where it's like I have the machete kind of stuck in that part of his mask. So it totally looks like it's in the guy's head. So anyway, I had all these great pictures from it. Then he also gave me a copy of the movie. He gave me a little jacket, although it was way too big for me, but it was a sweet jacket. It was was fake white leather. And on the back, it was like a Friday the 13th symbol. And on the arm, like going down the arm in a different color leather, I think it was either black or red. It said, Jason takes Manhattan. And it was just a a kick-ass jacket. He also gave me a wallet. Um, a whole bunch of stuff, but anyway i I showed up back at my house, expecting maybe to see him, maybe get her to autograph. I had like a bag of loot showing my brother, and he was just you know over the moon about it, but anyway, after that, at that point i was I was a horror movie fiend, but after that was when I really felt connected to horror movies, and I felt like I was a part of that, and I felt like that's where I belonged. Uh, where i where i would belong so ever since then and i i would love to meet kane hotter at some point just to thank him because i think that had such like him taking a minute out had such a huge impact on the course of my life thereafter because it's again ever since then i've been just obsessed with anything to do with horror and still am to this day as a in my mid-30s so that's so that's the story I'll share. I would like if I ever can get in touch with Kane, I would uh, love to to thank him personally. And maybe someday, if the nighttime podcast uh, becomes popular, I can get in touch with him somehow and do it on air. Well, wow,
0: this this is like a really good good and crazy story. I'm also a huge horror movie fan, but you know, um, I don't know, I haven't watched all the old movies because I'm a bit younger than you are. But wow, you you got blood from Jason. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know of of the later, yeah. of the later horror movies. I kind of like it follows. I like these. I yeah, like the, these great. psychological movies, and I don't know even if that counts as a horror movie. But it was like really great, and um, it was El Orfanato, The Orphanage, from Guillermo del Toro. Oh it was a yeah, great movie.
1: yeah, it's a Spanish. I think. Yeah,
0: it is, but it's. I, I think Guillermo is the producer there, but th- that was. It was just great. One of the weirdest stuff that I've seen lately was uh, sort of a ripoff of the old B movies that. Green Holocaust thing, something.
1: Yeah, that, that um, was. It, I, I don't
0: know. I went to the cinema with that, but of you know, the recent stuff, those are my three three favorites. Well, semi recent.
1: Yeah the the yeah the the one you mentioned, Green Hell. Oh, I, I don't of,
0: know, Green Hell, something, something. Green Hell. I yeah,
1: it's by I think it's Eli Roth. Oh yeah, who, who did that?
0: It's about these hipsters. Yeah, the I've moment. been
1: wanting to see that. I've. Uh, I'm really into the '80s stuff, and it doesn't hold up well. Like if you're younger than me, it's it's hard to watch it. Uh, go back and watch. It's not all of it stands up, mainly because the the production is it's completely different. Look, movies back then, and even the pacing and the characters and stuff. I'm just uh, don't want to sound like a sicko, but with with the '80s stuff, I like the slashers where it's just the you know the 15 kids and uh, 15 teenagers end up somewhere. Three of them have, uh, or three groups of them go off to have sex, and some lunatic with an axe uh, makes them pay for it. I like that style. Um, that's kind
0: of. I kind of, I kind of really like from those movies, The Thing. Oh yeah. Oh man, this, that's a, that's a classic in, in my. Yeah,
1: book. I I love The Thing. Um, it follows is great. It follows is one of the best that I've seen in a long time, and it was also done on. Not a small budget but it was it didn't require any massive effects or anything or any you know huge actors or actresses or something it follows was just all tension and all mood and it was the music was great and I found it really stuck with me I watched that uh, I was homesick from work with the flu and I saw that on Netflix and I had heard people say it was good and I was I was blown away I've watched it probably three or four times since
0: whoa. Well, what I really don't like about horror movies is those uh, jump scares. When the horror movie has nothing but jump scares, then it's like, oh yeah. come on,
1: that's bullshit. It's it's just it's cheap. Um, if if I was to recommend a horror movie to someone, most people have seen have seen this, but I love the Blair Witch Project. I'll watch that any day of the week if the, if Blair Witch is on, I'll sit and watch it. And I know that the the whole found footage genre is is played out and crappy for 99% of the movies within that genre are crappy but Blair Witch is just to me is just uh is very cool it's the equivalent of like you know going out and getting um, some greasy chinese food that's how i feel every time i watch blair witch and just like yeah.
0: i have the movie for you if you're into slasher flicks it's a Norwegian movie, at that.
1: Okay, cool. It's called Dead Snow. Oh yes, I've. It, it, you've seen Dead Snow? Yeah, you'll have a hard time recommending a <laughs> horror movie to me because I'm a, I've watched them all. Uh, but Dead Snow is, is the. I'm,
0: I'm trying. I'm trying to pull off my obscure Norwegian stuff for you, man. And you've seen it. <laughs> you past the grade for horror movie fans. Yeah, Dead but Snow yeah.
1: is the cool uh, Nazi zombie flick. I love it.
0: I I really like the, the, the why, why you should see this movie for our listeners. There's a scene in this movie is ultra violence. Utterly, it's a complete slasher flick. Secondly, there is a scene in the movie where the lead characters grab a sickle and a hammer, and they cross them while yelling and running towards Nazi zombies to chop them up, <laughs> while a really upbeat music music plays really loudly in the background.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, and a Nazi zombie is an incredible villain because everybody hates Nazis, and zombies are just like the the brainless enemy that served so many movies so well. To make a Nazi zombie, nobody can fault you for killing a Nazi zombie.
0: Yeah, they just they just go all out. There's a, a do, you, do you play also some horror video games maybe? How do you like that medium?
1: Yeah, I've um I like I like horror video games starting out with Friday the 13th for regular Nintendo. Uh, I still, I'll still i still play that today if you, if there's an online emulator I played it not too long ago. I love the, uh, speaking of Nazi zombies and Call of Duty, the Nazi zombie mode and all that stuff where the waves of zombies are coming. I can get right into that. I wish, if I had more time, I'd be way more into horror video games. But I love all the Resident Evil games, especially Resident, Resident Evil 4 Um Love Silent Hill, but really for me, for video games, my uh, the the be all end all for me is Fallout. I love the Fallout series, Fallout um, Fallout Four, uh, Fallout Three. That's Dude, uh,
0: if I'll have a dog, I'll name him Dogmate.
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> for me, it's we're a- on
0: the same spot here. I have played Fo- my favorite Fallout is Fallout Two because that was my one of the first even role playing games that I was into, and I played that like. Insane amount of um, insane amounts of times, and I gave myself some challenges. So I beat the game with a character named U, with just the letter U. Nice. Uh, who had an intelligence score of two, charisma score of two, and like lock score of two. His traits were jinxed and gifted. That's why he is two. And tag skills were speech, uh, speech barter, and science. Nice. And I only used the basic spear. <laughs> and I beat the game with it. <laughs> Cause that's, that's why Fallouts were so great. You could do a lot and the atmosphere was great. And I like all this retro futuristic look. Yeah. But you know, what? I've, I've noticed that a lot of, oh man, we're, we're some sort of bunch of sick people on <laughs> Matter, <arguments>, I presume. <laughs> a lot of us are geeks, metalheads, horror movie fans, love post-apoc stuff. We have, no, yeah, we have Troy Halvel's whole, his podcast about horror stuff. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah, but talking about horror, now it's the fun part. <clears throat> Read us your favorite one-star review.
1: My favorite one-star review of uh, of, of your show. Of, yes. You know what? I haven't rec- luckily I haven't received a lot of one-star reviews. Uh, let me see what my worst is.
0: I've got I've gotten one really long, and then a bunch of death threats.
1: Uh, well, your show is a little more charged than mine. Um, it's hard to get mad at uh, at coverage of UFO sightings, although I've I've covered a couple of missing persons cases and some true crime stories that were a bit more controversial than the paranormal stuff. Uh, let me see if I got much negative here.
0: Okay. Uh, well, we're finding this. Uh, my favorite show of yours is actually about the missing people. Okay. Th- those, those are the most fun because – my editor and girlfriend Alice, she's really obsessed with, with that stuff too, and the most favorite missing missing story ever on the planet earth, I think is the Eliza lamb story mm, mm-hmm. the bell elevator that's insane
1: yeah that's a, that is a crazy case I hadn't covered that someday i I may, but I covered a case that it was one of my first episodes. The the missing person's name is Emma Filipoff. She's still missing. She went missing in Victoria, B.C., very close to where Alyssa Lamb went missing, And under fairly similar circumstances. Basically, Emma's last known sightings were also caught on on video, and she was doing some odd stuff. She was uh, one video of her is she's in a convenience store. She buys a Uh, People call them burner phones like a temporary cell phone. You can like put some money on it and throw the phone away when you're done sort of thing. She bought one of those and then she went to leave the store but instead of leaving she stood at the door and she just looked out the window back and forth kind of like she was waiting for someone but she was pacing around a little weird and she did that for I think about 10 or 15 minutes before she finally left the store the next video is her at a library uh, doing something similar. She's leaving the library, but rather than leaving, she just stands at the door, looking around, being weird for ten minutes or so. Finally, leaves. Um, and then she, um, what what's really strange about Emma's case is that she was living in Victoria, B.C., but her mother was living in Ontario. Uh, In the days leading up to Emma's disappearance, she kept phoning her mother in distress, saying, "I want to come home. I need help getting home. Buy me a plane ticket, mom. You know I'm in. I'm having a bad time." So her mother would buy her a plane ticket to to get her home. But then the next. Next day or later that day, even Emma would call and now calm down, say, you know, I'm fine, mom. I'm going to take care of this on my own. Just cancel the ticket and I'll come home next week. I'll make my own way home. So it went back and forth with buy me a ticket, cancel the ticket, buy me the ticket, cancel the ticket. Finally, Emma's mother concerned for Emma's help health looked up, um, she was suspicious of where Emma was staying. Emma told her mother she was staying with friends, but when Emma's mother looked up the phone number she was phoning from, she realized she was staying in a woman's shelter in downtown Victoria, which didn't make sense to her mother. Her mother now realized something was seriously wrong, so rather than buy Emma a plane ticket, Emma's mother bought a plane ticket to go to where Emma was staying, hoping to just you know check on her to make sure everything's fine and help her daughter do whatever had to happen. So when her mother... Is As her mother's plane is landing in Victoria, B.C., at about just the same time, Emma's last known sighting occurs. And it's a guy that had seen Emma quite often at the library. She was known to spend a lot of time there. He saw her standing on the intersection, downtown Victoria. She had no shoes on. She was holding her shoes in her hand, and she looked very disoriented. The guy approached her and said, you know, Emma, you recognize me? Is everything okay? What's going on? And she talked to him pretty much in gibberish. Um, he was at, She asked him, you know, just stay with me for a little while. And, and she was just saying really puzzling stuff. He could tell she wasn't drinking and didn't seem to be on drugs. She just seemed very disoriented and confused. So he ducked out and um, went into a coffee shop and called the police all the while looking out the window at her. Um, he told the police, you know, you got to check on this girl. Something's up. So the police come. As the police start talking to her, he leaves and goes on his way. The police are said to have talked to her for about 30 minutes, and they tried, They offered her help and offered to take her somewhere. She declined, so the police had no choice but to just leave her, leave her on that intersection without her shoes on, because I guess just being weird isn't enough to get arrested or whatever. So they just left her there, and she is never seen again. Her mother again shows up. Her mother missed her by probably about a half an hour, and she's never been seen since. And it's an absolute mystery what happened to her. When I did my episode, I, I told a lot more of the story than what I just told you. But I also had Emma's mother, Shelley, as a guest on the show. And Shelley described the events leading up to that disappearance. And Shelley also described her time staying in Victoria, trying to find her daughter in the weeks after her disappearance. And her ultimate decision to leave Victoria and go back to Ontario without her daughter and without knowing where her daughter was. So it's a quite, quite the case, but it has, it mirrors a lot of the Alyssa Lamb story.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Now, did you find that one star review?
1: I didn't find the one star review. Um, what I'm finding though, or what I'm hoping to find is a very strange email I got. Uh, if I could find this, it'll be good. This is a, um, email. I, I did a story on, the uh the psychic phenomenon basically i had a girl who reached out to me that had been receiving uh, a vision basically this recurring reoccurring vision over a period of years where she would um she'd be doing the dishes and she'd just get this vision flash in her head and the vision was basically the a horse's hooves running through a puddle on this dirt road pulling a like a wagon or something and this vision kept coming to her uh, over the course of 5 to 7 years to the point that she thought this vision certainly had some relevance in in her life or a past life or something like that so she wanted to, me to do a story on it so what I ended up doing was I recorded her describing the vision from there I got in touch with the psychic who came on the show and gave me her opinion on what the um, the vision meant to my prior guest on the show so I aired that I think it was the episode is called uh, Laura's vision um, when I aired that, I received—I didn't expect much to much to come back from it because not everybody is into the the skeptic phenomenon, uh, or not the skeptic, sorry, the psychic phenomenon. But I actually received a lot of emails that were quite polarizing. One in particular was very harsh.
0: Well, please do share.
1: Yeah. All right. So it's not very really critical to me. It's just this email gets a little weird. So she's describing she she writes and says you know I think your sound is appealing I like what you're doing with the show I don't know what you do for a living but you seem like you're a pretty smart guy so it's it's kind of starting off with compliments uh, she talks a bit about some opportunity I have for advertising and she's giving me some advice on what I could do to get advertising and then everything's going great and then she says I don't want you to receive this as a neg- I don't want you to receive this in a negative way. Uh, three dots, then a space. And then it says, I'm Christian and believe that people are sincere when they say they speak to the dead, tell the future, read cards, auto writing and everything else in the paranormal category. But they're messing with Satan himself He's capable of sending his demons to appear and say things to you that you wonder how it could be anything but a true supernatural experience. This is very dangerous to allow this exposure to the dark world in the Bible it says he's the father of lies, and once you open the door and allow or invite it in, you're at grave risk. You've chosen your God who will who you will follow. A lifetime here on earth is nothing compared to eternity in the or is nothing compared to eternity in the Bible it says for us to guard our hearts and minds. Yes, the subject matter is intriguing, but I fear there may be devastating results. Please understand this intent of my note to you. I'm not insulting you or insinuating you remove this type of material from your programming, but I would delete that episode because you're talented and I think it would be a shame for something terrible to happen to you.
0: Well, I don't know, it just looks like she was like really really just cares about you.
1: Yeah, it's just uh that was one of the first emails that I got that kind of freaked me out. Do you not find it, it if you receive, I guess you get stranger emails. When I got that email, I was a little put off.
0: <laughs> well, uh, it's not about the stranger emails, about this subject matter, or, you know, well, there are a lot of quite devout people over here in the East parts too, uh, especially when it comes to the Orthodox Church. Yeah, a lot of them kind of take this stuff very literally, but you know, they're they're usually just nice people. I can, I can understand why you found it creepy, but
1: I, I found it weird and and. You know what? And maybe you can sense it in my voice. As I was reading that, I noticed the name that signed the email. I uh, I looked at the first and last name, and I'm going somewhere tonight to um, do a paranormal investigation in, on this uh, this uh, a hotel outside of my city. And I realized that the person who I'm going to meet with tonight. I don't know them. They emailed me out of the blue a week or two ago and arranged all this. I realized they had the same first name. As I was reading that, I was a little distracted because in my head, I'm like, oh my God, is this who I'm going to meet with tonight alone? But now that I look, they have different last names and different spellings of their first names. So, all right. Anyway, when I got that email, that was the first email I, I received after starting my podcast that just made me feel a little weird. Something about it and something about the way the tone changed midway through it. So, anyway, um, I don't have the KGB or these types of people threatening me the way you may, but, but that, uh, that to me, I didn't take it as threatening, but I just took it, I just, I just took it as someone that I wouldn't want knocking on my door. No, how about but it's, that? it's
0: kind of, kind of creepy. I understand <laughs> that. Yeah. You know? Anyway, how did you end up on Dark Myths? We all have our very own special. Yeah. Story. Through
1: me, it was uh, straight from the horse's mouth through Jordan. After I launched my show, um, he probably sees the Canadian iTunes chart and I had just with a stroke of good luck. I had CBC who I mentioned earlier, they, they covered my podcast. They did a story on it um, and related it to the fact that, you know, just last month I was in the news finding this journal and all this stuff. So when CBC covered my podcast, it just in Canada, it just blew up for a little while. And I was, I think 19th in Canada on the iTunes chart um, well above any other Canadian shows and well above really anyone else covering paranormal and stuff. Although it was short-lived, it was a very exciting couple days. But during that time, I think I, I think Jordan just emailed me out of the blue explaining what Dark Myths was. At that time, this would have been, I, I believe, well before you. I think there was maybe just five or six shows, and one of the shows was Astonishing Legends. And... Um, Jordan emailed me. No,
0: no, no! Aston- Astonishing Legends came. Sl- they were the next show after me. On the oh, show. really?
1: Okay, so maybe you were there then. But when uh, when the, I guess. yeah, so when I went to Dark Myth's website after getting that email from Jordan, I saw Astonishing Legends, and as I mentioned prior, at that point they were my favorite show. In fact, I had even uh, I had been emailing um, Scott a couple times or just writing to him Twitter, and I really liked his episode on Oak Island. I, I visited Oak Island, and I collected some rocks when I was there, and I emailed rocks in Oak Island keychains to Scott and Forrest as a, as a gift for, or as a thank you for their Oak Island series. So when I saw that Dark Myths was affiliated with Astonishing Legends, I got in touch with Scott and said, you know, what's up with this? And he said, everything has been going great. So I agreed to join. And that's pretty much it. And my show since joining Dark Myths, my uh, listenership has gone up probably 100%. And I think a lot of it is just all of us working together. Uh, promoting each other shows, uh, especially for me, what's been a big benefit is working with astonishing legends. I had them as a guest on an episode of my show, and I think they they plugged it on social media and a lot and all that. So I think a lot of their listeners uh, were interested in the topics I was covering as well. But that, that's how I got. That's how I ended up here.
0: Oh, that's like really great uh, because uh, all this all this community and uh, our listeners should understand that the fact that. Uh, we just amateurs talking to each other this is the greatest part about Dark Myths. I mean I can we can just write up to Scott Philbrook and just poke him and he will most likely respond the Yeah,
1: and same with uh, Daniel. Uh is it Balelli? Bolili?
0: Yeah, Danili Bolili. I just did an interview with him like on my, oh, for my own show, not for this one. Yeah. But uh, well, we'll get him here as well, I think. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> once, once, jo- once Jordan relieves me of my duties as the local journalist. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's cool. So you get to yeah. rub elbows with the stars.
0: Oh, man, I don't know. Um, well, what, Well, we, we are in a, I guess we're in a bit of a different weight category here. But what I really like about your show is that it really covers the local stuff. And that's really important for me because my show is also born out of this desire to tell the story of my people, tell this, tell this local story, mm-hmm. tell, tell this story of, of the Soviet Union. And your show is all about this Halifax and, and this central area and where you live around, like Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's great. I, I think that's the most interesting part of this because when you look at the gigantic picture, you sometimes can't see the really important details, the really fun, tiny things. What do you think? Yeah,
1: well, I, I think that's exactly right. For me, covering local is, for one, a way to differentiate myself from all the other podcasts that cover the paranormal and mysteries. By me covering local stories, for one, it gives me um, access to – or better access to the sites that I'm covering. Like, for example, with – just to use Astonishing Legends as a as a comparison – Although they're a much bigger show with much better hosts and much better production than I have, but
0: they—oh man, no, you're you're a great host.
1: Oh yes, thank you, Kristaps. Uh, but they, uh, when they cover a story like they just did that series on the Summerton man, they can't go there and knock on the door or meet with the people who are players to these stories. For me, I'm covering stuff local, so I can go, uh, I can go visit the sites I'm covering, and have a, a much better, um, much better access to 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 the players to the story. So that's that's one thing. Second thing is the stories that I'm covering, although are very important to me and I think they're great stories. When you look at all the mysteries around the world, they don't show up on the radar. So because of that, I'm covering a lot of stories that other people would not have covered or maybe had never heard of. So somebody who's into astonishing legends that checks out my show, I'm probably covering stories that, you know, has would never have showed up on the radar at all, like some, you know, bizarre serial killer in northern New Brunswick that they had never heard of, for example. They would know about Ted Bundy and these types of people, but they wouldn't have heard about the things that happened here.
0: Oh, and about serial killers. Before we started recording, Jordan told me... Is great stuff that he's working on which left me with with open mouth uh, open mouth actually it's it's just stunning could you could you please repeat that for our audience just a little teaser about what's your, what's our next episode gonna be yeah so th- i i really hope this show comes out before that uh well it's but- gonna be it
1: may not be but people who listen to this i keep all my back catalogs on nighttimepodcast.com or on itunes but my my next story is a story that In Atlanta, Canada, where I come from, um, everybody knows this case. Everybody knows every detail about it. And generally, everybody has someone in their family that was touched by this case in some way. It's the story of his name is Alan Legier, but people call him the monster of the Miramichi. He's he's, uh, Atlanta, Canada's by far most infamous serial killer. He was active in the late 80s, and basically the story of Alan Legere I'm telling is a two-part series. And my my guest is on the show is the then editor of the local newspaper, which is called the Miramichi Leader. The guy who's on my show, his name is Rick McLean. He, again, was the editor of the local newspaper as this all happened. So he was there for all, every step of the way as the story unfolded. He's since wrote two um, two of the two books on the case, one of which is a Canadian bestseller called Terror. Basically, the story of Alan Legere is this. Um, small town, New Brunswick, the area is called Miramichi. This guy, Alan Legere, Grew up uh, on a, the wrong side of the tracks. He grew up in a broken family in a rough, poor neighborhood. Had a very... Um, uh, off His life was off to a very rough start. And he basically, very early on, started a life of crime. Mainly, it started with uh, break-and-enters and burglaries and a lot of theft. But he also seemed to be... Uh, a budding peeping tom he would get a kick out of what he called creepy crawling and that was basically breaking in someone's house and just messing with them while they slept he used to break into a house and this was when he was a young man around 17 18 he would break into a house to find a woman and try to take her underwear off while she slept And he was quite good at it and quite successful. So this went on, and he was in and out of jail his entire life. But the real problem started when he was around 35 years old. He got out of jail after a series of break-and-enters where he pretty much robbed every second house in the city and got busted for it. When he got out of jail, his then-wife sold everything that he owned and that she owned and she fled the, the the area to try to get away from the beatings that he regularly put on her when they were together so when he came home he was left with nothing everything he owned was gone he had nowhere to go so he decided for one final score and it was going to be a robbery along with two other guys he was going to rob a store um, that was that was a, a mom and pop operation by two um, by a couple in their I think early seventies. When they shut down their store, they returned to their home, which was like the just on a on the same lot of land as the store. In the backyard, basically, was their house. Alan Legier and the two others went into the into the house, pretty much kicked the front door down, um, and beat and sexually assaulted the woman. Killed the husband who was in his seventies. They, they beat him to death. They sexually assaulted the woman and left her near dead. And they left with a safe that was in the house. Um, they were they were all arrested within days. Brought to trial. Alan Legier was found guilty and sent to prison. So now he's on, in prison for murder. But what he does in prison is immediately he starts plotting his escape from prison. And basically his plan. That, he, that was successful, he was collecting his own urine and pouring it in his ear until he ended up with an ear infection. So when he got an ear infection, they had to take him to the hospital. Um, so they took him to the hospital, but when he arrived at the hospital, he since he's been in jail, he was on his best behavior, probably to earn the guard's trust. And when he got to the hospital, he used the ability—he used that trust against them, and he asked to go to the washroom. They let him go into a bathroom unattended where he picked the lock on his handcuffs and removed from his anus a TV antenna that he had up there for some amount of time. Uh, I see you cringing on video, Chris <laughs> I am Be strong, really? buddy. Uh, so he wow. he removed that from his anus and um, booted open the door and just charged past the guard running down the hallway to escape the hospital. The guards at the time weren't allowed to carry guns for fear that the prisoner would grab the gun out of their hand. So the guard sprayed him with pepper spray. But pepper spray is not very effective when you're spraying someone in the back of the head as they're running away with the TV antenna they removed from their anus. <laughs> so he gets out of the hospital hijacks a car. The car he hijacked was a, a lady who had her pet parrot in the backseat. So there's the lady, the bird, Alan Legere, driving down the street. And Alan G- basically says, uh, you know, I'm escaping prison for murder. If you try anything, I'll kill you right here in your car. So she just sat quietly and he drives the car to the end of town, parks the car, gets out of the car and runs into the woods. Now this area is very dense forest. It's like the forest is very, very thick here and he's lived in it his whole life. So pretty much when Legier ends up in the woods he manages to stay in that woods for the following 6 to 7 months, living sort of like a survivalist. He had huts all around the all around town and he knew where all the areas were where like there was say a restaurant on the edge of town, he would come out of the woods and go into the dumpster and collect the garbage that and that's what he was eating. He was living off berries and catching animals in the woods, but all the while that he was hiding in the woods, at night, he'd come out of the woods to prey on the people of Miramichi, where he lived. And he developed as a serial killer through this time. And he basically ended up with his... his uh, He committed... During the time that he was on the run and staying in the woods, they couldn't find him anywhere. People randomly would get a, would get a sighting of him, but they, they could never catch him. But basically, while he was in the woods, he would come out and prey on the same sorts of people. What his thing was, was he wanted to find senior citizens alone in their homes. So his first murder is, um, it was another shopkeeper. It was two sisters, both in, I think, in their 70s. He broke into their house at night, sexually assaulted and beat them both, tucked them into their beds and set their house on fire. One of them managed to get out and described a masked man raping and tucking her into the bed and setting the house on fire and walking out. Uh, his next murder was also very similar, two seniors in a house. He beat them to death, sexually assaulted them and set their house on fire. And killed both of them. His next murder, and this is the murder that really struck fear into the community, was he um, broke into the rectory of the local church uh, and beat the elderly priest to death. Uh, said to have beat him so bad that this the whatever in your face holds your skin to your skull was removed and they said when they found his body, it almost looked like he had a loose mask on because the the his face was no longer connected. He was that badly beaten. This happened just before Halloween and people were so terrified they were installing, you know, motion lights all around their homes. In the area still to this day, motion lights are referred to as legier lights because people only started installing them when legier was active. Um, but it was right before Halloween, and for fear of what he would do to the children on Halloween night, this year they canceled Halloween in this community. Instead of having door-to-door trick-or-treating, they brought all the kids to a local hall and had the parents set up tables, and the kids were going from table to c- table collecting treats that way rather than having them roaming the streets while Legier was on the loose. They've since caught... What a, yeah, so, what a nice guy. Yeah, it, and... <laughs> To this day, hes they ended up catching him shortly after the murder of, of the priest, Father Smith. They, he's still in prison in Canada and is declared a dangerous offender, which basically means it's unlikely he'll ever see the light of day. But that doesn't stop him. He's since been uh, he has been caught trying to escape. Uh, I think this was about 10 or 15 years ago. And the guest on my show, Rick McLean, he's very connected to the case, again, because he wrote a couple books on it and did a lot of the reporting as this went down. Alan Legere actually wrote letters to Rick McLean threatening him and his family family and his young daughter. On my show, the, the second episode, which I'm going to release in the coming days, the second episode ends with Rick McLean reading a letter that Alan Legere sent him threatening his, his wife and daughter. All the letters Alan sent him, he would sign using different names for the devil because he was known to uh, be quite into Satanism. But it's quite chilling, the, the, the entire story. But here in Atlanta, Canada, this is uh, a very big deal.
0: Wow, and this is why you should listen to the nighttime podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This is insane. Mm. I mean, let I me mean, just imagine this: you're driving through the road, and then a the man runs to you and says, "I just pulled an antenna out of my rectum. <laughs> I will kill you if you don't do what I say." Yeah. What the hell, man? Yeah, it's wow. it's terrifying. Wow. And and the whole your ability to get these stories is just surprisingly great. Yeah,
1: well, it's these are things that since I was a kid, I interested in things that have happened locally I have if you look at my bookshelf I have a whole section that is local ghost stories legends crime and I just I collect those books I'm always at used bookstores so I'm always looking for books about things that have happened here in fact I don't know if you can see on my camera I'm holding a book about Alan Legere right now
0: it's called terror for the listeners yeah
1: that's written by Rick McLean, who's my guest there's the scumbag right there so, yeah, that's what's coming next for me. I'm looking forward to it. It's part two of, of a series. I'm hoping that part three materializes. I've been in touch with Alan Legere's ex-wife, and it's just a matter of her agreeing to talk to me, and we'll see if that happens.
0: Wow, you're really, you're really deep about your sources. Uh, well, though on the bit bit less serious part, what's your favorite beer?
1: Um, You know what? My favorite beer is coconut water. I don't drink a lot of beer. I've, I don't like anything that's carbonated. If I was to drink a beer, I'd drink something really light. I hate to say it. This is probably going to let everybody down who listens to this. But if it was like if someone had a gun to my head and they're like, I'm about to shoot you, pick one beer to drink before you die. I'd probably be like Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I would say, uh, do you know what? Miller Genuine Draft. It's like it's like water with a drop of beer in it. I like that. I'm more if I'm if I'm going out for a drink somewhere, I'll I'll get here's how I like it. And it's, it's, I'm going to sound like a snob, but I want in one glass dark rum, pure dark rum with no ice cubes or anything, and in in a separate glass just water. And I just add a little bit of water to the dark rum and I drink it like that.
0: No, that, that's that's how I drink whiskey. Okay, but pure whiskey without ice, and then you just add a teaspoon of warm, mostly lukewarm water. Because people actually who work as bartenders have gave me this advice that adding tiny amounts of of lukewarm water just brings out the aroma there. I I don't know why it works or how but apparently it kind of works. Yeah,
1: well, that's I don't know how I even started drinking it like that. But that's uh, I don't drink often. But when I do, that's my preferred way. I don't like anything carbonated. You won't see me drinking pop. For me, it's coconut water or juice that I've watered down. But I drink enough coffee to feed an army, I think.
0: Oh, podcasting works on coffee,
1: man. Oh my gosh, yeah, and it's it can be through a fault because I'll tell you my number one criticism of my show. Yes, for a one star review, I couldn't find one of those, but multiple times my biggest feedback that I get that's negative is that I uh, I talk too fast, and it's it's a uh, a conscious thing where I'm trying to slow down as I go, but I think what it is is I'm I just get so excited. I'm always covering things I'm interested in, so I'm excited and talking about it, and I probably. Uh, legally impaired with the amount of coffee that I have pumping through my veins.
0: Wow. What do I,
1: what's your script work? How much of the show is scripted and how it's just free flowing? Well, it's um I guess the majority of the parts that are just me talking are scripted. Like I'll I'll write down I usually will start with an outline of how I want the story to flow. From there I'll kind of write the script around it, but I try to incorporate a lot of Either guests or interviews, and all that, of course, is not scripted. So, if I was doing like this this story on Legier, let's say, I did an interview with Rick McLean uh, by phone, which is about an hour and a half long. Then my episode, actually telling the story of what happens, is scripted, and it's me talking. But throughout it, I'm playing clips of my interview with Rick McLean to kind of elaborate on the different points that I'm making. Uh, so that's that's unique to this one. I have some episodes where I write the whole thing down and I could I could release it like a blog entry. But instead, I just read it. I don't prefer to do it that way. And I try to avoid that. I only do that if I can't get in touch with a guest that's really relevant to it. So it's it's a it's a mix of everything. I, my favorite is, is the interviews and having somebody tell a story that they're an eyewitness to. Like, for example, I did several about UFO sightings and I had the actual witness tell their story. Rather than me, you know, writing it down and reading it, but it's just, it's, it's, and I'm sure you know all about this. It's hard as a solo podcast host as to how you get the story out because I don't have someone to have a conversation with. It's hard to just talk to a microphone without scripting. The
0: editing it. is easier though. Oh yes, because I'm, I'm, I'm doing both now. I'm on lesser Bonaparte's too, and I've, I've noticed that that's actually easier to record an episode for for that show, but the editor for that one, uh,
1: yeah, definitely. Um, but anyway, I do a lot of scripting, and that's kind of inspired me. Now I'm I'm hoping sometime in the future, if I can find the right story, I'm hope I'm gonna let it just happen. But I want to find the right story that I decide to cover for my podcast that just takes off. And instead of making it a podcast, try to try to write a book. I've been sponsored by um, a local book publishing company uh, an episode of mine in the past so i have a bit of a relationship there so i'm hoping sometime in the next maybe two or three years to find the right story and try to write a book well i hope you
0: really succeed um i asked this to other jordan and uh, this is one important question which other dark myths podcast do you recommend people listening to not yours because yours is not Uh, we're we're still talking to the nighttime podcast host jordan bonaparte bonaparte bonaparte
1: What's your surname? <laughs> well, you can call me whatever. I didn't want to. I didn't want to embarrass you, but I consider myself the greater Bonaparte on nighttime po- uh, on uh, the Dark Myth Podcast Collective. My my last name's Bonaparte. On uh, I go by generally for the show Bone Party, like B O N E P A R T Y, and that came from that was my Xbox gamer tag. Still is. I just don't play Xbox much anymore, but that was my gamertag, so I use that name on Reddit and all that. So a lot of people know me that by that name. So I just kind of blend it together, and my podcast is shows is published by Jordan Bowen Party as a way to uh, blend together the real me and the me that many others will know online. Uh, my favorite, aside from my own show, it's I guess I'll, I'll have to say Astonishing Legends. I talk about them constantly. Anyone I know that mentions they're interested in podcasts I tell them about Astonishing Legends as like as the go-to show for me it represents the high watermark of of podcasting I think the production's incredible their research is incredible and them as hosts are world-class they could uh, Scott and Forrest could talk about anything and I'm going to listen to it because they're just they're great guys they're hilarious they're super smart and they're just Likable, um, so uh, uh, astonishing legends for anyone who doesn't know it, you're missing out big time if you don't listen to that. The other one that I'd recommend is a podcast that I sponsored to join astonishing legends uh, to join Dark Myths, which is um, Pete's Paranormal Chronicles. The host of that, uh, Corey Mumbercat, is a friend of mine. He is uh, it's it's a fictional show set within Atlanta, Canada, and a lot of the places that I cover in my show. He includes in his fictional show. So for me, it's just like kind of like it's just a um, it's a fun show. It's very quirky. It reminds me of the video games I loved as a kid, like uh, the point and click adventure games like Maniac Mansion and Zach McCracken's Alien uh, Alien Mindbenders. All, if, you, if you're familiar with those weird uh, LucasArts games. His sense of humor reminds me of that. At first, I thought the guy was, was surely nuts after listening to his show a few times. I'm thinking this guy's definitely out of his mind because it was just the humor is so off the wall. The quality of the production's weird and everything about the show is weird. The music's weird. The intro's weird. I thought he must be nuts, but once I got talking to him, he seems like the nicest guy. I hope to, to meet him sometime this summer, but that's the, the show. If you're, if you're looking for something different and you can handle... you know. Um, listen to something that's a little out there pete's paranormal chronicles is great
0: Wow! and finally as we're about to wrap this up what is your one message to dark myths to other podcasters i won't i won't tell them about this until this airs this is also one of those very important questions they'll they'll hear it at the exactly same time as the listeners do man uh
1: my advice to them especially to the to the newer podcasts that are just getting a um, just getting a start because we have a we have such a, a wide variety of members again we have uh, history on fire and astonishing legends who are very developed shows very popular we have uh, groups like like mine and in and, and your show which are kind of in the middle we have an audience but we're not at their level but we're not just starting then there's the shows that are that are just getting their start trying to earn an audience my advice for them, would be. And this is my advice, not just for podcasters, but for really anyone is just fake it until you make it. At the beginning, even for my second episode, I was sending emails to people trying to make myself sound like I was important. They look like almost like mini press releases. And surprisingly, people that had no business talking to me or appearing on my show were writing back. And I had the local newspaper covering my show and all this. And for me, it's just, um, I think that was what helped me at the beginning really get rolling. Not everybody can do that because it's a little, uh, you got to be probably more confident than you should be to make that work. But the whole fake it till you make it thing, it works in podcasting.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you here. Well,
1: thank you for
0: advice, Jordan. And it was nice talking to you. This has been the Dark Myths Show. And yeah, no beer recommendations for you this time, dear listeners.
1: Thank you, Jordan. So, uh, I'll recommend some coconut water and a good night's sleep. Oh, whenever we get that one. <laughs> <laughs>